Welcome to the Cathedral Library Bible Podcast. I'm Rob Steele. And I'm Jordan Duncan. And our desire with this podcast is to show you how easy and enjoyable it is to come to Scripture and walk away having heard the words of God and being changed by Amen. Well, we're back with uh, episode five of our look through the Gospel of Mark. And I'm here with Jordan Duncan. Hello. And uh, we're about to uh, jump into chapter three. We're starting in verse seven and going to go all the way through to the end of chapter three today. Uh, Jordan, why don't you give us a little breakdown of uh, what we're headed into today? All right. Well, this begins a section here um, for the next few chapters where um, we explore, I guess, the mystery of the kingdom and some of the... um, surprising things about it. And the first surprising thing that we start exploring is Mark gives us a picture of the, um, how different people groups are reacting to what Jesus is doing and saying and proclaiming Mm -hmm. the kingdom. Hmm. And so right off the bat, the first little, um, paragraph, I guess, is, uh, how these crowds are responding to what Jesus is doing and saying. And so Jesus withdraws after the last set of stories and he goes to the sea, which I'm guessing is the sea of Galilee. And it says a great crowd followed him and they were from Galilee. They were from Judea. Some were from Jerusalem and Idumea, which I'm not really sure where that is, uh, but also from beyond the Jordan and from around uh, Tyre and Sidon. I also don't know if I'm pronouncing those right, but uh, which could, and I'm not sure if, this is meant to be picked up here, um, if I have my Bible geography right. Mm-hmm. But I think the areas beyond the Jordan and Tyr and Sidon were potentially more populated by non-Jews at the time, or just the sense that um, if these people are following him as well, it might be that there's Jews and Gentiles beginning to form this crowd. I could be off on that. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But um, anyway, this great crowd comes up. They hear what he's doing. They're surrounding him, and he tells the disciples that he needs a boat ready, lest they crush him, <laughs> lest this crowd crushes him, which just, uh, that, I don't know, that's, that's a funny way to put it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's other times where he's afraid of what the crowd might do to him at yeah. that time. Yeah. Uh, and this is like, they, they have positive view yeah. of Jesus here. Yeah. And he's afraid they're going to crush him. Yeah. So they need a boat ready. Uh, and be, and so it gives the explanation of why these people are following him, that he had healed many. Um, not only that all who had diseases, um, were pressing around to touch him, but also unclean spirits. Whenever they see him, mm-hmm. they fall down before him and cry out that you are the son of God. And then he orders them not to make him known, which is a really similar, uh, story from back in chapter one, um, verses 21 to 28. Yeah, it seems like he's, I mean, right at the beginning here, it, again, it's just this continuation of the story mm-hmm. and unraveling of what's happened with Jesus. What I, what, I'm, what I enjoy that Mark does and that made me think immediately, the thing that popped into my head was uh, just celebrity. Hmm. It's celebrity mindset, right? Yeah. You think of, uh, I saw this short video. I don't even know who the star was. I don't think it even showed who the celebrity was, but it was making fun of the bodyguard who was just like 
body rocking people, (laughs) getting them out of the way, trying to make way for this celebrity to walk through. And that's that's what this feels like, Mm. right? Is this idea that in some respects, the apostles are almost bodyguards in this moment. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe they take that role more than he wants them to. Yeah. Right where they're constantly yeah. trying to keep people away from him, we see that continually in the Gospels. But um, I'm that that just struck me this this celebrity uh, nature that Jesus has found himself in, but his ability to um, to work against it to some respect. Now it doesn't speak a lot about it in the text, other than just get ready so I don't get crushed. Yeah. Um, but it, for me, it draws me right back into all of the stuff in uh, First Mark, mm-hmm. uh, where he's, his baptism and his, um, his temptation with, uh, with Satan, I feel like those, those things now are actually showing why they were so necessary because he's, He's so wanted and demanded and needed that he could get crushed by the people. They're wanting him so bad. And if he hasn't, if God hasn't established, if the father hasn't established who he is in his humanity Mm -hmm. as, you know, the son of man, but as his son, uh, if that identity is not formed and tested, right? Not just told, but actually gone through a significant test first. Hmm. uh, What happens to Jesus here? Right. When he literally can't, he, he, he's in danger. He's so loved. Yeah. Right. It's because like you said, it's not a, he's not, he's not fearing for his life because they're coming after him to kill him. Yeah. He's fearing for his life because he's so loved. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it could go all kinds of sideways if he's not, if he hasn't had who he is confirmed as it was at the baptism. Yeah. And then tested. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, uh, yeah. It, just in reading it, I got all these, you see those old videos of uh, when Beatlemania swept mm. across America, mm-hmm. right? And they walk out of the plane for the first time. And, and these, you know, people are actually just falling from like fainting. They're so full of excitement mm. and anxiety mm-hmm. over seeing them. Yeah. That's what it brings to mind is that kind of feeling. Yeah. Uh, you know, if there was no barricade to keep the Beatles safe, hmm. <laughs> they may have been mauled to death kind of thing. So anyways, yeah. but. So then immediately from there, Jesus goes up on a mountain and calls to him. I thought this language was interesting. He calls to him those whom he desired mm-hmm. and they came to him and that's where he appointed 12. And uh, Mark points out that la- later he names them apostles uh, and he appoints them, one, so that they might be with him, two, that he might send them out to preach. And the sending out is where the apostle title will come from, because mm-hmm. um, apostles just means sent. Um, and three, to have authority to cast out demons. Mm. And then it lists the 12 there. Um, so it, uh, what do you think about that, that these crowds are swarming him and... He's so loved. And there's, he's already called, um, in the text anyway, he's called uh, Simon Peter, James, John, Andrew, and Matthew, who is Levi the tax collector. And now it's just, it's reaffirming that um, with the rest of the 12. What do you make of that, that he's now calling out 12, particularly for these purposes, mm-hmm. out of this crowd that loves him so much that he might kill him? 
<laughs> I feel like there's so much here. I've preached on this a few times. So I'm, uh, if you remember, if you're listening, you're with us, uh, to both of our moms. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, we're trying to take this just plain. We're yeah. sitting down and we're reading this. I, uh, we actually, uh, purposely give some time between these just to, uh, we're not studying through Mark. Uh, commentaries and 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 Greek uh, or Jordan's not doing the Greek, um, but this is we're just trying to take this plane, and so this is a little bit difficult because I have lots of stuff from from teaching. But the thing that just um, the thing that I can't get around is that there there seems to be two things that this speaks to me. One is that um, within a crowd, he pulls out some for the sake of his ministry and mission. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is now just me personally. I think that we can all see that we have a mission to walk out on the earth and that in a different circumstance, he may have picked different people out of the crowd to do something yeah. similar. Like if you think of Acts six or whatever, where, you know, seven men got picked, uh, to feed the widows to me, it speaks of purpose and mission for all of us. Yeah. Uh, but it also speaks of uh, leadership and that he calls out of a crowd some people to help him uh, in those moments. And so I think that like th- those two things, the the thing that I love about it is that his, you, you pointed out the different things, uh, like the different points there. I think that the one that really stands out because we miss it so often is that it starts with be with him. Yeah. That he he calls them out to be with him and then to be teachers and then to have power over dark forces. Mm -hmm. And I go, the priority is relationship. Even, even though he's calling them into a significant leadership role, these are the first people that, that Jesus has said, join me in what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. which is massive. So many implications there, but his, but his purpose, the, the, the foundation of that call is so that you can be with me. Hmm. Uh, I just think that that's, it's such a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing because they're, they're called apostles and sent ones, Mm -hmm. meaning they're not always with Jesus. That's not what he meant. Yeah. Right. But yet there's something of a, uh, a specialness to their relationship for the sake of him sending them and pouring into them or, or sending them out to do his mission. And so I don't know. There's some, there's so much there that I think should speak to all of us, but should also mm-hmm. speak to um, the fact that we, you know, there are, God does pull out leaders for us, for yeah. our sake. Yeah. Do you think that there's, um, that it's fair to read those three? So there's three reasons why he appoints them. Um, do you think it's fair to read those in like um, a particular order in mm. the sense of, so the third one is have authority to cast out demons but in the sense of you can't have authority unless you've been sent out, which is the second one, sent out to preach. Yeah. But you can't do that unless you've done the first one, which is to be with him. Yeah, I think so. I think that it seems, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm hesitant because I think that we read into this stuff a lot in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. We make something, we make a system mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily a system. Um, so I, I think that that is... One of the things I, I feel like I see in the scriptures with the stuff like this is that we, um, the system is like best case scenario. Hmm. It's not a, it's the only way it's going to work. Yeah. 
And so I think that's why we see some people have powerful ministries where they right. do have authority, but they're not spending time with the Lord. Yeah. And But what happens there, normally it, it leads to downfall, to be honest, and usually yeah. to sin in some way, yeah. uh, which wouldn't be God's plan. Yeah. Right. So I, I see it as like a, a best case scenario, like yeah. what is what he would like it to be yeah. uh, or the purpose he would want to put on it, but not necessarily like you can't have it if yeah, it's not for sense. these other things. Yeah. I don't know. It's like for ourselves, we need to be concerned with asking, are we, do we have all three? It's like a three-legged stool here with these three things. Yeah. yeah. And we want to make sure we're, we've got all three legs in place. Yeah. If we're missing one, we can balance maybe for a little bit, but we're gonna, <laughs> it's going to end badly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's, it would be more for our sake than it's the only way that it'll work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, that, at least that's how I see it. Uh, okay. Now, one of the things that jumps out to me, and I think this is maybe a bigger topic mm-hmm. uh, in some respects, but it really, it always just floors me. Judas. Hmm. Uh, he picks Judas. Yeah. Now, there's a few things to that. Like, there's different opinions around Jesus's foreknowledge, for example. Right. Did he pick Judas knowing Judas was going to turn against him? Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a scholarly debate there, mm. uh, which I that's not the purpose of this, right? But that's. So that jumps out at me. Hmm. And when I'm just reading this text, I see Judas's name and go, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Mark doesn't leave it vague here. I don't, I can't remember if the other gospels kind of leave it. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think at least one of them brings it in somewhere, but he right off the bat, as soon as Judas is named, comma, who betrayed him? Exactly. Like he just like throws the dagger, right? Yeah. I mean, no need to throw the dagger. He's, yeah. But <laughs> sorry, I was, that was going to be morbid, and I don't want to go there. Yeah, it, it's it just it it that one hits me every time. Mm-hmm. Every time I hear Judas's name, um, and partially just because I can't get over this the story that it tells. Yeah, I can't I can't get over the those closest. Like Jesus calls him out to be one of the ones that is closest to him Mm. and, and he's the one that betrays him into this. And I go, Oh wow. What a story that tells us about life. It's not enemies, right? Like there are enemies and you see the Pharisees and all those things, but I hear Judas's name and I immediately think this is, uh, this is part of his inner circle, his brotherhood. Yeah. And he turns on him. And that's the, like every good movie, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, uh, the dark night returns and mm-hmm. it's the girl and you're going, oh my goodness, no, not her. It was Bane, I thought. Yeah. And no, Bane's the, the enemy. It was the one closest that actually, that actually, you know, uses the dagger. Mm. And <laughs> see, I put that wow. together. That was unintentional, but I'm pretty <laughs> impressed with myself. <laughs> You can't. Well done. You can't see. I'm using like a stabbing motion. So if this hasn't made sense, you got to read that into the. <laughs> um, anyways, that one. That one always hits me. Judas is there. Mm-hmm. He gets called, and imagine the crowd, if they'd known, 
Yeah. Right. Which they didn't know what he, like they didn't know, but I just think at the end of it, when Judas actually betrays Jesus, this is the stuff. It's this moment that's going through the apostle's mind. Yeah. Right. Like he's, whoa, he, like you were there. Right. Yeah. We, we were, we were called up to be with him. Yeah. And the, and you're doing this. Yeah. I wonder what kind of questions that caused for them. Jeez. Very interesting. And I think, well, I think I want, so here's what I'm wondering about this little paragraph is, so the kingdom shows up and first it impacts everyone, like the great crowds. Mm -hmm. And because there's good news, it's good news that the kingdom, the rule of God has um, showed up and that impacts everybody. Yeah. But then Jesus calls um, particular ones to then join him and participate in the kingdom showing up. Yeah. Um, I wonder, like there's, a, there's an obvious parallel there to um, Christian leadership, mm-hmm. but I think, I think that, f- I think it's even broader than that. I think that maybe we can read into the calling to participate and join Jesus in the kingdom showing up yeah. as that's the role of Christians, right? Yeah. That yeah. we are called to him, to be with him, to participate with him. Yeah. And which then means that the kingdom, when it does show up, doesn't just impact Christians, it impacts everyone and yeah. others will recognize it, but they may react differently. Yeah. And I think the invitation there is there for them to then join, Yeah. but they may not. Yeah. And then to the parallel of Judas being among <laughs> the Christians... Totally. And so I was just thinking about, um, before you brought Ju- Judas into this, um, I was thinking about how, like the verses Paul talks about, uh, about those who are called were also predestined. Mm. And so then the question of predestination comes in and mm-hmm. then God's foreknowledge <laughs> comes in and there's all these debates <laughs> about that. Of course. But just that Jesus calls those whom he desires. Yeah. And these 12 answer yes and follow. Um, and yet one of them betrays him. Yeah. And so how does that fit into the question of who's a Christian? Who's really a Christian? Who's predestined? Who's called? Totally. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I like that it, it stops us. I mean, what, what I hope it does is it stops us from uh, pursuing anything quite so solid all the time. Yeah. Right. That it actually, it isn't, um, you know, ultimately what, what this is telling us is that some of our pastors may not be saved. Hmm. Right. Or I, had, I shouldn't say that. It has the potential, right. Yeah. That there's, that that's there. Yeah. That this is, so did they say yes to God at one point? Mm-hmm. Of course they did. Yeah. They follow him. Okay. I'll, I'll follow you. Mm-hmm. But as we see, just to say I'm following God doesn't always translate into faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that Judas is such an interesting example of that. And He's not the bulk, mm-hmm. right? There isn't even many, but there is someone in the yeah. midst of Jesus's own company yeah. that turns, mm-hmm. that's willing to say yes to the desires of the flesh yeah. over the king. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's interesting and it doesn't stop him from taking part. No. Right. The kingdom is spread. Yeah. And he's in it, 
but you can see internally. And uh, I mean, everyone knows the story. He's, he's wrestling yeah. the whole way through. God uses him to spread his kingdom and to further his message beyond, not even in the cross that that is true also, but mm-hmm. uh, before that. Judas is intimately involved in the spreading of the gospel and the kingdom coming now. Yeah. Well. And so does that invalidate anything that Judas does throughout these years of following Jesus and yeah. himself spread, spreading the kingdom? And, and, and I sure, the, the, the toughest part is I hear that and I go, for sure some would say yes. Mm. I just don't know how we could say that. Because yeah. in some respects, aren't we saying that Christ is then invalid for his choice. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like that that seems crazy to me because Christ chose him. Yeah. And which so now okay, now we're in it. This this is a really important point for us in our day and age is this idea of you know, is Jesus's hand too small to save then? Hmm. Cuz he chose him mm-hmm. and Judas chose differently. Mhm. Um, that, that brings up so many questions. And, and so this is part when you're, you know, if you're following along with us, these questions, like if this question, if these questions bring up or these stories bring up big questions, let them Mm -hmm. like bring them up. Mm -hmm. Um, this is where you need to do more study. And so what Jordan had talked about, uh, in one of our earlier podcasts, I think it might've been the first one, uh, talking about hyperlinks. Yeah. Uh, these sorts of things, when these big questions come up, it's not just a hyperlink through, you know, the, the word or, you know, a quote or those sorts of things. It's also a thought, mm-hmm. right? And so when this, when this challenges something in you and your belief to, to say, okay, so where else in the scripture would I go to find this? And, and not to let it take you um, outside of the scriptures to try and find an answer. Yeah. But I, I am certain that the... Um, the scriptures give an answer to this yeah. and it's debated haughtily, <laughs> but yeah. it is, uh, there is a, uh, a well-proven stance to land on that, um, that will bring some, some satisfaction to those big questions. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. For me, it just, it, it raises the, like if we're talking about Christian leaders who may eventually then betray Jesus and yeah. walk away. Yeah. It raises, because that all of a sudden raises fears and goes, well, I can't trust anyone then. Totally. And I think the answer is no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you have to. Yes. So, yeah. but the question is, is your trust in the person or is yeah. your trust in what Jesus is doing through them? Yeah. And is your trust in Jesus ultimately? Yeah. And then whatever leader takes that place of leadership in your life they can come and go, they can fail or succeed, yeah. but your trust remains in Jesus. Yeah. And, and I think those things should hurt. Hmm. I've been talking about that yeah. a little bit recently is grief and pain are not anti-Christian. Yeah. Um, when someone in your community or in your body does something bad and it hurts people, hmm. you can't pretend that didn't happen. No. No, pain is, pain is a part of this. I mean, Peter great, great letter. Mm-hmm. First Peter, he's pretty clear that we're meant to rejoice in the midst of suffering and pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Paul consistently <laughs> would mm-hmm. agree with that. I think that this is just, 
this is part of that. Like you're in, in what you're saying there is that um, we ultimately keep our trust and our faith in God. Yeah. But yes, you are supposed to and need to trust people mm-hmm. in the midst of that, knowing that some of them are going to hurt you yeah. and fail. And the purpose that God gives to that is to say, hey, look at Jesus because he gets that too. Yeah. You're not alone in that. Yeah. You're not the only person that has experienced it. He can actually help you through it. Yeah. And he can give you what you need to get through it because he's also got through it. Yeah. And so the, you know, there's this uh, sense in which the, we try and do away with pain one way or another. I either won't trust and then I won't get be pain or even to go as far as to say, well, I don't actually need to trust these people. I only need to trust God mm. wrong again. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, the other side is to go, well, you know, the world just sucks. Everything's terrible. Yeah. And I can't, uh, I can't do anything about it. And yeah. you go, what well, the world does suck. That's kind of part of what God's saying. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of what sin has said yeah. from the beginning. Um, but the kingdom is just so good mm-hmm. that even in the suck of the world, <laughs> God's going to make uh, make a way for it to be beautiful and good yeah. uh, and enjoyable. Yeah. Well, and even I'm just realizing, so there's actually two in this list who in this story betrayed Jesus. Mm. One of them uh, can't cope with his own betrayal and kills wow. himself. Wow. And then the other becomes the Bishop of Rome, and the first, you know, so there's, wow. there's the ability for Christian leaders to fail. There's also the ability for God to restore Christian leaders. Wow. And I don't even know if, I actually don't know what I think about the end of Judas's story. Yeah. Because, yeah. so he, you know, he kind of. He still believes in Jesus yeah. and stuff at the end. He just can't bear the thought of what he's done. Yeah. And, but his belief is still right. Oh, I'm with you on that. I, I've been, every time we've been talking about Judas, I'm going, I, I don't know if I want to make claim that I know what happened with Judas ultimately. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's and that's tough because there's a lot of text that would want us like push us in that in a very specific direction, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I try and if if you know Amos Martell, his big push always is, well, we probably shouldn't judge that person's salvation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I think the same would apply here. Yeah. We don't get to judge salvation. That's mm-hmm. not our call. Um, we can, you know, we can help people and encourage people and even make judgment of sin that mm-hmm. is clearly defined, mm-hmm. but, um, but not salvation. So yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And a really good point about Peter. That's like, cause, and then if you, again, we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that it tells us a lot about Christian leadership, but it also tells us a lot about ourselves yeah. is to say that, so what does that mean about us? Hmm. Right? So any sin doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter how big, how small, no matter what we're going through, we can be the Judas of a story. We can be the Peter of a story, mm-hmm. right? And it sure seemed like Peter didn't put all the blame on Judas. It sure seemed like he owned that. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like he yeah. doesn't, like he owns his story there and realizes how terrible it is what he did. 
yes, he didn't get, serve up Jesus, but he refused Jesus and turned yeah. on him. Um, so that's a that's a really good point. I think that should should tell us. Oh yeah, now I got now I'm thinking later in this next in this book because it brings up some questions around uh, sin that will not be forgiven, mm. which we come to later. Okay, which I have going. I have lots of questions for you around that. So okay, great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's this one two verses here where after Jesus goes up the mountain and calls these twelve, then they go home. And the crowds gather again to the point where they can't even eat because there's these crowds that are just so demanding of him. And Jesus's family hears about it and they go out uh, to seize him because they're saying he is out of his mind. What, what does this mean? <laughs> Honestly, I read this yeah. and I, again, I've not studied this. I'm reading this and going, what? Yeah. Any ideas? I... Well, no, <laughs> not really. I just think, um, like there's a, I mean, part of it for me is there's another story coming about family in the same chapter mm. that I think, I think Mark is kind of telling a story around family. Yeah. So yes. I think that it's bigger than just this story. Because he's trying to, he's setting a tone of what the kingdom means and and how it relates to family, and you can see that as we as we move on, we'll we'll kind of hit that right at the end of our um, episode here today. But but this specific part where it's placed was very interesting to me. Yeah, I'm just trying to dig a little bit here. And see <laughs> he's cheating. G- he's cheating. cheating. Um, Uh, there's too much there to read. Um, <laughs> I'll just say this is an interesting thing, and I can't, I don't know what the other translations are saying. Um, but so the ESV says that his family says that he is out of his mind. Uh, the Greek just says because he is confused. Hmm. Um, so I don't know how the ESV takes, why they take that. He's out of his mind thing. Yeah. Um, but definitely from the, the point of he, like he is, he's lost it. Like he's confused. It just is so strange to me that this is, I mean, I think, I think it, it makes more sense in light of the later, but where it's placed in the story just seems so interesting to me because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me in that regard. Hmm. To go from the appointing of the 12 apostles uh, into the conversation with the scribes and talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and to just to plop that right in between. Yeah. Because I feel like he addresses family stuff later. Yeah. So well, unless it's just he's trying to be a good uh, writer and setting up yeah. something that's coming later. But it's like, it's it's not like it's coming much later. It just... Yeah. yeah I don't it know. just seems strange. It's I when I was reading it I'm going I just wrote questions. I was mm-hmm. like Jordan help me. That was my question. I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so anyways, it, I mean going from here we get into this massive conversation mm-hmm. he has with the scribes. Uh so I'll I'll set it up because I want Jordan to answer it. Oh, so <laughs> uh this is what I do everyone. I just everything that's really difficult. I say, Jordan, tell me what happens here. Um, 
so the the scribes have now come down uh, from Ju- Jerusalem. They believe that he's possessed, that he actually uh, has the prince of demons, uh, Beelzebul, in him. And Jesus goes into this beautiful picture um, around uh, how a kingdom can't be divided against itself or a house can't be divided against itself unless it will fall. This includes Satan. Um and that the only way to go into uh, another man's house and to plunder it is to first bind that strong man up. Um, and so this is a, a great conversation, which I think is probably fun to address before we get to the Holy Spirit stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it's not, I don't want to take the Holy Spirit out of context because this is this is how it relates, obviously. But um, I, I, did, I had a question I'd just love to hear your opinion on in regards to this house and kingdom divided stuff. Mm-hmm. How do you relate this to the current state of the church? Hmm. Yeah, so I've wondered if this, if in the way Jesus is talking about Satan in his kingdom, yeah. if there's a bit of a jab to these scribes from Jerusalem about the state of uh, Israel and its kingdom, right, being divided against itself, and then it wasn't able to stand, and it fell, and yeah. Um, hmm. But I, but I don't know. Um, I think, like when I when I read it, I thought, okay, so I don't, I don't put the church in the state of or in the role of kingdom. Uh, I put the church in the role of house which he gives, gives the same rules to ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. So a house divided uh, against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Christ is the king of his kingdom. It's not a divided kingdom um, in, that, in that sense. It's not the same thing. I, I understand Christ's kingdom is not going to fall uh, because he is ruler and sovereign over it. Mm-hmm. But the house thing just really sit, hit with me. And maybe it's just my, my constant thoughts around unity and uh, seeking of it. But I, I think of the church uh, larger global and think of uh, our current state, even in our country, but kind of around the world that there's places around the world that the church is growing Mm -hmm. and we see how it's infiltrating culture. And then there's places around the world, which I would argue is Canada is one of Mm -hmm. where the church is shrinking and the, um, the culture is no longer uh, impacted or uh, looking towards Christian values to be impacted. It's now working uh, against those values. Yep. And it's kind of, I feel like in some respects, the divisive nature of the church, I feel like we just kind of watched this parable of Jesus come true, not to, not to the fullest extent, I don't mean completely, mm-hmm. but that we've been watching the church kind of fall apart because of our divisiveness. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I think, I think this one we have to be careful with because I think Jesus is just bringing in a basic principle of if you're trying to be a group together and you're divided, you're not going to be very good. And his point is I'm not with Satan because I'm fighting against Satan. Totally. Casting out demons. Totally. So, Satan and I are not on the same team. How stupid would that be if I came in to try and undo the work of my teammate? Yeah. So he's just using that principle of division isn't going to serve. I'm obviously not in the same cause as Satan. Yeah. Because I'm working against him. 
which is probably exactly what I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. because of the amount of people, maybe it's just the amount of conversations I've had where I've had to talk through, is the Pope the Antichrist? Right. Right, where it goes to that extent, where Mm -hmm. people are actually saying this, or even charismatic leaders that I've been, like, worked with and walked with, people are going, that's demonic. Yeah. And I'm going, it's demonic that he's talking about Jesus nonstop, praying that people would be saved and hoping that they would be healed. Yeah. And that's demons doing that? Right. Right. And it's the church that says that it's not the world saying that. Yeah. It's the church saying that. Yeah. And I go, Oh wow. That's a kingdom divided. That's a house divided. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so I get what you're saying better now. And I, yeah, I think that's definitely what's going on. He's kind of, it seems like he's, he's saying this thing about Satan's kingdom and his house and his purposes and what he's trying to do. And saying, obviously, I'm not with him because we would be divided. We're doing different <laughs> things. Yeah. But it, uh, it then also sheds light on the fact that the scribes who should be on Jesus's team mm-hmm. are also doing different things <laughs> and seem divided from where Jesus is going. Yes. And Jesus has showed up, I guess, to, to correct them and to get everyone going the same direction. Yeah. And, and what these responses by people are showing is that some of them aren't, aren't coming into alignment or into unity with Jesus. And so then I guess, yeah, are, are divided from him and from the house of God. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then to the modern day context, that I think is exactly what, where this goes, because he says, he then brings in this, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, I remember being at camp, like as a camp counselor. And the question we would get in question time all the time is, the Bible says there's an unforgiven, unforgivable sin. What is it? And, you know, and people are like, well, maybe suicide or something like <laughs> yeah. all these things. Well, yeah. it says right here, yeah. <laughs> uh, blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, which by the context of this... The scribes are seeing the Holy Spirit at work. Yes. And thinking it's the devil. Yes. And and because they can't differentiate between God and Satan, yeah. There's you can't f- forgive that. Like there's no um how do you get out of that? Unless I, you have a revelation and realize how wrong you are. Like I I'm like, even as you say it, I go, I think that's what this is saying, mm-hmm. but it makes me very scared for mm-hmm. people because mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, like it doesn't take long for you to find whole movements of the church, uh, explicitly doing this exact thing, mm-hmm. doing exactly what the scribes are doing. Yeah. And I go, oh no, <laughs> like that, cause to me. That sounds like the unforgivable sin. Mm-hmm. And, I, and again, I think we want to be careful with what unforgivable means. Yeah. Um, which you were alluding to there. I, I, so I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. That's just a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I do think Jesus is saying this here. I, I don't know. Maybe as hyperbole. Yeah. But 
definitely as an invitation to the scribes. Yeah. I don't know that he's saying you guys are too far gone. Yeah. But as an invitation to say, hey, check yourself. Yeah. And get on the right page here. Yeah. Um, can, can I just, yeah. just, I think it's helpful just to point out something that you're doing that maybe not everybody does or knows that you're allowed to do yeah. is to say, okay, it, it does explicitly say that. Is that what he meant? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question to ask yeah. that we should be asking. Now it's, so part of what we've done with that, because we've, you know, no matter where you find yourself, if you're listening to this podcast, if you find yourself in the midst of doubting everything, or you find yourself in this place where you go, well, I can't doubt anything that the mm-hmm. scriptures say. Um, I think you've got to find a middle ground mm-hmm. to say that th- the scriptures seem very clear about things. If the scripture is continually clear and continually saying the same thing, yeah. then I think we can hang our hat there and yeah. go, no, when he says that explicitly in these 20 places, he means <laughs> it's it. It's probably... Right? Yeah. Um, but when we hear something like this, mm-hmm. that seems a little different mm-hmm. than some of the other stuff we hear, um, the question, it isn't that we go, well, he couldn't have meant that. What we should do with, is that what he totally meant? Yeah. Uh, and, and not to write it off, but instead to look for uh, exactly what's being, what's happening there. And so the only way you're going to be able to do that is through more reading, yeah. studying those sorts of things. Um, and this is why it's good if you're reading through the scriptures to have like a journal or something, mm-hmm. uh, Jordan in front of me, he's got, uh, is it in the ESV mm-hmm. and ESV with the margins on the side so he can write questions and thoughts and things that he studied or around beside it. Um, the, these sorts of things I think are really helpful because it allows you to come back to those things that come up in you because yeah. those are good things. Yeah. Um, but you just, uh, it's, Jordan's just doing it naturally and, and he's doing it because he's, he's, he's been taught that that's okay and that's all right. And mm-hmm. so just to say it out there, if you've ever read something, you go, that does not sit right with me. Mm-hmm. Um, ask yourself why and let yourself be challenged Yeah. because there's going to be things that don't sit right with you that. God's saying explicitly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then there's going to be things that the reason it doesn't sit right is because you have the mind of Christ and that isn't what he meant. Um, and so we got we to gotta balance that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, another thing to do is to take those questions and humbly submit them to other people. Yes. Very and, good. And look for, because even here I'm going, can, like I'm looking at you kind of like, can I say this? Is this okay? Yeah. Because it seems pretty clear, but it also seems like this is a perfect spot for this conversation because um, the beginning of his sentence is all sins will be forgiven the sons of man. Yep. So everyone gets forgiven of all things. Yeah. And whatever blasphemies they utter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Except this one that will never be forgiven. (laughs) So that's very two polar opposite things that Jesus is being very extreme on. Yep. I think we got to ask some questions and go, what's his point? Yeah. And maybe could I throw a warning out? Is yep. that allowed? Uh, I hope so. One of the things that I don't like that I'm that I'm prone to, I think we're all prone to, uh, but that we have to be willing to bring it to our community, mm-hmm. uh, as Jordan has said, bring it humbly to other people, but not always to just go and read everyone that we know agrees with us. Yeah. And talk to everyone that we know that agrees with us. We got to understand why people don't agree with us. Yeah. 
um, the, the thing that I find the most detrimental when it goes to understanding the scriptures is that we go looking for those people that already agree with what we think about them. Mm-hmm. Scriptures are not going to be enjoyable then. It will be for a time. Mm-hmm. But part of like the purpose of this is to reveal God, which is meant to challenge us mm-hmm. and bring us into new things. And so if we're constantly pulled to one side, it, isn't, it doesn't mean that side's wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. It's only that we have to understand, why do people think differently? Um, and, and there is a, a longstanding orthodox belief on all the things that you're thinking, whatever those things are. Yeah. Uh, it's been thought, it's been questioned, and yeah. the church has done a ton of work to figure out what the answers to those things are. And so it's, you know, it's on each of us individually. The, uh, okay, I'm ranting, but the, <laughs> the, we all can access scripture in any way at any time. That is actually dangerous Yeah. if we use it wrong. Yeah. Uh, and so we don't want to go back to a time when we couldn't access it. No. We don't want that at all, but we have to be responsible with the fact that we can access it. Hmm. So there's my rant. Well said. Um, let's move on. And I think this one's getting long, so let's try to wrap it up. <laughs> um, so this part, this chapter ends with uh, Jesus uh, or his mother's, his mother and his brothers come. And they stand outside wherever his he brothers. Is. What? Yeah. Sorry, just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and so they call to him, and the crowd's sitting around. Uh, they're saying, "Hey, your mom and brothers are outside looking for you." And Jesus responds, "Who are my mother and brothers?" And he looks around at those who are around him and says, "Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother." So <laughs> here's my perspective on what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, in a, it's still, it's always about bringing the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is trying to re, uh, rebuild the people of God, the family of God, the kingdom of God yeah. centered around himself. And like, this is just a great physical picture, yeah. tangible picture of what Jesus is doing all throughout the gospels is that he's trying to orient what used to be the kingdom of Israel, which was meant as the kingdom of God yeah. on earth. Um, they were known as the people of God, the family of God. And he uses that family of God picture here to say, what I'm doing is reordering that kingdom or that family or that people around myself. Yeah. And so his mother and brothers show up and of course they're looking for him because he's out of his mind <laughs> and they want to restrain him. But yeah. he looks at his audience and says, you, because you're around me, you are the family of God. Yeah. You are my family. Yeah. You, and he says, whoever does the will of God, he is, so he puts it really specifically. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, allow me one, one, uh, deeper study moment here. <laughs> uh, so the word will is the same word for desire or to want. Mm. Um, so the will of God is just the desire of God or the, right. the want of God, what God wants. And so I think it's interesting that this section begins. The last sentence in this section is whoever does the will of God, the desire of God, he is my brother. Mm. 
the first sentence of this section is he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Hmm. Hmm. So I don't know if there's like an intentional tie between those two things that it starts out with Jesus saying, here's what I desire. I desire you and I'm calling you. Yeah. And then in the end, his call is to whoever answers hmm. the desire of God and does and walks that out and says yes to the will of God. Oh, I like that. So I, I don't really know if there's, if there's an intentional tie between those two things sure. because it's a pretty common word. Yeah. So it's not like this is a really particular word that right. stands out. But yeah, yeah. I just wondered about that. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's really good. It, hmm. Interesting because, you know, right along, as you said, he called those who he desired at the end of that section is where he first talks about the, his family mm, thinking mm-hmm. he's crazy. Right. And then he ends this section with, you know, those who do the will of God uh, or follow the desire of God. Well, that's interesting because it ties together both the family and the desires of God Yeah, uh, into that front and back of the section, which is really interesting. I think it does answer the question of a little bit around uh, why even talk about the fact that his family thought he was crazy. Mm. Well... At the end of the call of the disciples. Yeah. Is to uh, bring those things together here. I guess it's kind of answering my questions from before. Hmm. And even your, yeah, I like that, the tying that together. And like you said, I know that it's not set in stone as in we know that for certain, but there is a theme tie at least mm-hmm. um, that's kind of following its way through. And so whether it's his intention specifically with that word or not, you do see the theme right through that whole section. And I think the, uh, one of the things that I like and I think is important for us is that um, we can get this really messed up with, in regards to family. Um, if we act as if then our family is no longer our family. Mm-hmm. And so he would incorporate his mother and his brothers. Yeah. If they are those people. Yeah. Right. The, you know, his, if his mother and brothers are doing the will of God, then they are his mother and brothers. Yeah. The same as they were, on the fleshly side, mm-hmm. right. And physical side. And so, um, you know, I think he's, he's setting a tone. You're right. He's doing something very specific in the way that he's answering the, this call. He's reestablishing things with the people that are following him. He's trying to teach them a new way. He's doing all of this, but he's not severing his relationship with his mother and brothers. Right. That's not his intention. Yeah. Um, and I think that we can get that really backwards mm-hmm. if we take that too far or if we look at it wrongly, yeah. uh, which would be unhelpful. Yeah. It's more of a, that's uh, kind of a cultish answer to it. If it's like, well, you sever all ties to your family. Yes. It's yeah. actually not what the church calls us to. It's no. incorporate all of these other peoples into your family also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's like a redefining of priorities. Yeah. Yeah. Based on, opposed to what culture would suggest. Exactly. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Well, did you have any more on that? No, no, I don't. All right. Well, this is the end of our fifth episode. I hope you have enjoyed coming along on the ride with us. We've really enjoyed doing it. And uh, we'll be back next time with episode number six, beginning at the uh, start of Mark 4. Thanks a lot for joining in. We'll talk to you or see you or maybe not. Maybe you'll just hear us later. <laughs>